My name is James Gleason, and I want to welcome you to the weekend teaching ministry of Sunrise Church here in Hillsboro, Oregon. Now, Sunrise is a church devoted to being a safe place to hear a life-changing message. And our vision is to lead people in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And so every weekend, we share a message of hope from God's Word, the Bible. Now, if you'd like to know more about discovering and growing in a relationship with the God who loves you, please take a moment to visit our website at www.isunrise.com. Now, from there, you can learn how to connect with the God who loves you. And you can learn how to grow with others along the journey of life. You can learn to develop a heart to serve the least, the last, and the lost. And finally, you can learn how to lead others to know Jesus Christ on this journey of disciples making disciples. And so now I invite you to follow along with our weekend message as you discover the heartbeat of God. I was just thinking, I was singing Mumford and Sons, I will wait for you. So uh, I, I like to wait. Actually, I don't like to wait. I'm a pretty impatient person, uh, especially at Christmas season, because it, it all harkens back to the trauma of childhood when your parents are uh, somehow, you know, they just, they're just abusing you with this long period of putting up a tree and putting up a lights and, and wrapping presents and sticking them under the tree and said, you can have them in a month. I mean... <laughs> I don't know who invented that, but that's really cruel. Um, thankfully, my mom, you know, when she bought and wrapped presents, we were pretty poor, and so she couldn't afford good wrapping paper, so it was pretty thin, and so I could at least, you know, press in and see what it was that helped me in my waiting. At least I knew what it was. That was soft, as I'd get up in the middle of the night and weigh the package and measure it and, you know, compare and everything. My favorite thing about Christmas early on was when I lived in Indiana, lived at our grandparents' home, and uh, my grandma and grandpa introduced me to the wish book. You guys know what that is? This is a 1978 Penny catalog right here. It's Christmas all over it, baby. Uh, now, now... For those that are younger, this is Amazon on paper, okay? Um, and searching means using your thumbs. But I, I, oh, I love the wish book, whether it was J.C. Penney or Sears or Montgomery Ward, which nobody knows what I'm talking about with those names. Um, but uh, these are great. I mean, you could just thumb through. This is uh, from 1978, so it's got Close Encounters. This has got the original Battlestar Galactica and some early Star Wars stuff and definitely some things that are not safe for children today, but you could buy them back in uh, the day when I was a kid. But I loved this because grandma and grandpa would say, okay, here's what I need you to do. Uh, Take a look at the catalogs, and here's a piece of paper, a notepad, and I would just meticulously look at the items, and I would transcribe, you know, this catalog, J.C. Penney, this page, this part number, and uh, this price. And I would put it down, and I would hand to grandma and grandpa, and miraculously, Santa would know that that's what I wanted. Uh, but uh, I, I love that part, you know, that anticipation, that waiting. But it is very difficult to wait. Uh, that great American theologian, Tom Petty, said it best. You know, the waiting is the hardest part. It is, right? I mean, because none of us like to wait. We live in an instant world. Uh, with the microwave from the 70s or whatever, I remember that, you know, instant everything, instant popcorn, instant food, you know, we've got fast food, things like that. We are so spoiled today. I was on a trip and a guy was talking about a book just right there in my tablet. I just bought the book, downloaded it, started reading it. You know, I, I can listen to music. I, I was at a, a friend's house and preparing for a funeral for them and they wanted a certain song. I'd never heard of it. I just go to the store, buy the song, instantly download it, give them the video. It's like, I love things instant. I love it now. In fact, it's kind of 
kind of crazy because when you go to restaurants or some of the fast food, or even if you go to Starbucks today, you can order in advance in your car when you're not supposed to be touching your phone. And then when you walk in, it's handed to you. Forget the drive-through. The drive-through is way too slow. We're impatient for that, right? We, uh, we just don't like to wait. We don't like to wait for people. We don't like to wait for traffic. We can't wait till certain things are over. Some of you are thinking, I can't wait till the sermon's over. I don't want to wait for that to be, you know what I mean? It's like, I want to get on with my day. We are just not a very patient people. And yet in the midst of that, life is filled with waiting. And it's uncomfortable. It's difficult for us because we have our plans, we have our agendas, and somehow other people don't respond at the speed we want them to. I mean, some of you, honestly, you're here and you're waiting, you're waiting for a breakthrough. For example, maybe somebody in your family's hurt you and you're waiting for the moment they acknowledge that and they come to you and they admit that, they confess that and they offer these words, you know, I'm sorry or please forgive me. You've been waiting for that. Some of you have been waiting that for years. Some of you parents, you've been waiting for your children uh, to wake up, to come back to you or come back to God. Uh, Maybe you're here, a husband or wife, you're waiting for your spouse to finally wake up and to engage in the relationship or to disengage from another relationship to come back to you, right? I mean, some of you at at work, you're waiting for purpose. You're waiting for, you know, the next thing, a job, a raise, or whatever. Some of you are just waiting, and it's tough to wait. It's difficult to wait. None of us like to wait because we just want it now. And some of us, I would think, are waiting on God, we're waiting on God to show up. We're waiting on God to, to do something. We have our prayers. We have our desires. We have our pains. And we've been crying out to God. Some of us have been crying out to God, and, and God just seems to be silent. And that silence makes us uncomfortable. And it's almost a little dangerous for there to be silence because in the silence, we begin to wonder. And maybe even we begin to doubt. And, and not even really you know, aware of it on the front end, But on the back end, we end up a little disillusioned with God, a little disappointed with God. We end up in a situation where it's like it didn't work out the way I wanted it to work or when it was supposed to work out. And it's tough to wait sometimes. I mean, if you think about the Bible, so so much of the Bible is waiting. So much of the Bible is just waiting. Now, in, in, in the middle of waiting, God shows up. I was thinking about that from a perspective of Christmas and from a perspective of just the reality of what God does. We're going to walk toward the Christmas story this season, and in doing so, we're not going to do it like, say, we normally do it and look at a lot of the well-known songs or stories. We're going to look at the really obscure stories in the message of Jesus' birth, things that we don't actually have songs written about because it would be kind of weird. They're not verses and choruses that would describe these things, but these are songs nonetheless. They're lyric their poetry about what God is doing and how he's delivering his people. If you think about the Old Testament, the Old Testament closes in kind of a cryptic and confusing way. It closes with the prophet Malachi in chapter 4, verses 5 and 6 saying this, Look, I am sending you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord arrives. His preaching will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. That's kind of strange, right? I mean, that's an odd way to end a book unless you're going to write a sequel, you know? It's just kind of like, wait, you close the chapter. There's supposed to be another chapter, but it's the end, right? But it wasn't the end. But for 400 years, it seemed to be the end. I mean, what is this about Elijah? I mean, this is kind of crazy. You scratch your head and you think, 
Okay, I, I get the story. I remember in the Old Testament, hundreds of years before Malachi, that Elijah came. Elijah was a fiery prophet. I mean, he preached this message. Now, just a little note here. A prophet spoke the future, but a prophet also spoke God's truth. And so sometimes prophecy was saying, hey, this is going to happen. Elijah did that. He said, hey, it's not going to rain for three years, you know, and it's going to be this big drought. And that was how it worked. But oftentimes, and more so in Elijah's case, uh, like most of the prophets, he just spoke the truth into a culture that didn't want to hear the truth. He said, okay, people of God, you're failing, you're blowing it, you're rebelling against God. God wants to call you back and you better do this now. And they didn't have a lot of patience. They weren't very nice about it sometimes. One of the stories of Elijah is he's up on this mountain and he's called all the, the people to gather in the priests of Baal, the false god that people were worshiping. And he says, okay, you call on your God, do this sacrifice and I'll wait and then my God will show up and they're waiting and waiting. And, and it's just this funny story. He, he, he mocks them and finally God shows up with this lightning and fire and everything. He's like, okay, kill all the prophets of Baal. And there's this major victory. And then he goes into depression, which usually happens after a major victory. And he goes out into the wilderness. He's crying out, God, woe is me. I'm going to die. And, you know, and, and, you know, there's only one left. It's me. And God's like, okay, you know, quit being so melancholy. <laughs> let's, let's just, it's going to be all right. I'm still God. I'm still on the throne. Just get back to it. Let's do it. But he was this powerful prophet that relentlessly called people back to repentance and toward God. And that's what a prophet was all about. And so Malachi says, hey, God's going to send that prophet again. So in the Old Testament time and between the Old Testament and New Testament, 400 years, which is only a thin little page in our Bibles, but a big significant amount of time, God was doing something to, to prepare God's people for the Elijah to come. And so there were a lot of mysterious thoughts. I mean, is Elijah going to be resurrected? You know, what, what is it going to look like? I mean, why would Elijah come back? What's the point of Elijah coming again? Why not Moses, who is this great spokesperson? But why would Malachi say, I'm going to send Elijah there in advance to prepare the way of the Lord? Well, so as you continue on through the story, in fact, I'd encourage you if you, um, you know, can find First and Second Maccabees, you can find it online or you can find it in a Catholic Bible. It's not in our Protestant Bibles because it's, it's not scripture in the same way, but it's beautiful history. You discover all that happened, you know, in those crucial moments between the Old and the New Testament. And what you discover is, is that the people continued to be called back to repentance. They needed to be continued to be called back to God. That's who we are. We love God, and then we just forget about God. As Hosea the prophet said, you know, everything's fine. God finds us in the, you know, in the desert, and we, we're just walking with God, and everything's great, and he fills our stomachs, and he, he loves us, and then we forget about God, right? And that's who we're prone to be, those kind of people. But it's hard for us to wait if we don't feel like God leading us or guiding us. Now, when Malachi penned these words, Elijah had been already dead for hundreds of years. And so it was a little questioning, what is going to happen? What is going to happen? And 400 years go by and seemingly nothing happens. I mean, 400 years. That's amazing, right? I mean, that's not even something I can fathom. If you go back to the birth of our nation, you know, as far as the United States of America, we're not even 400 years old, not even 300 years old, right? Uh, at our house, if you come to our house, we've, we've got a couple big Doug fir trees, and, and uh, we had an arborist come out and do some trim work and kind of check on them when we got the place. And, and one of the comments was, this tree right here, 500 years old. <laughs> Thinking 500 years old. I don't know how to compute that in my head. Gather the boys there. I'm like, look at this tree. Okay, see this tree? We're going to be dead, and this tree is still going to be there. <laughs> 
because it's been there 500 years. That's amazing. I mean, how do you fathom 400 years? That's the amount of years the Hebrews were into slavery, in slavery there in Egypt. It's a long time. No wonder people thought God forgot about them. No wonder people thought God wasn't going to talk anymore. Have you ever been in a situation and maybe in a small group and it's been time to pray and, you know, it says, let's pray and then there's silence? Yeah, it's like this, it's awkward, you know? <laughs> it's like, would somebody say something and, you know, you got your, oh my goodness, I think it's time to pray, I got to get, I got to find a prayer, I got to do something because this is awkward. Can you imagine the awkwardness of 400 years of silence where God isn't speaking? What in the world could God be doing? Well, it's helpful to see things from God's perspective because even though God was silent, he wasn't gone, he wasn't inactive. In fact, I love how the Apostle Paul says it in Galatians 4, 4. We saw that this last spring. But when the right time came, God sent his son born of a woman, subject to the law. Paul's talking about Jesus, looking back at that. He says, when the right time, when the, when the proper time, uh, one of the translations says, in the fullness of time. And the idea of this, this pregnancy that's going to give birth, this, this gestation period that is going to yield something amazing, when it was the exact time, when it was the right time, when it was the proper time, exactly as God planned it, all of a sudden, Jesus burst forth on the scene. And you wonder, why, why would God do it then? Why wouldn't God have done it a couple hundred years earlier? Why was this the right time? Why was this the proper time? Why was this the fullness of time? Well, you look a little bit of history, and it is pretty fascinating to see the hand of God. We call it the hand of providence, the unseen hand of God into the glove of the affairs of mankind, right? That he works his way in ways that if we could get some perspective, we could go, oh, that kind of makes sense now. I see how God did that. Well, take a look at this. Uh, the, The Old Testament closes And then the Greek culture and the Greek empire takes over. And Alexander the Great takes over, 330 or so B.C. And then after all that expansion, then there's peace in the world. And then Rome takes over. And all of a sudden now, by the time you open up the New Testament, you've got Rome in control. And now why is this the right time? Well, just look at history. First of all, with the expansion of the Greek and then the Roman Empire, there was one people. You were all Romans. You were, had a Greek heritage, as it were. And so you had, although many cultures and people and cities have been conquered, you all adopted this Greek understanding, this Roman way of life. And so it was easy for you to communicate the story of Jesus to people like yourself. Even though they might be different, you were still under one umbrella of leadership. Not only that, the Roman army provided peace all throughout the empire. No matter where you would go, no matter where you would travel, there were Roman soldiers that provided a place of peace. And so you could go from place to place to place, and you knew you would be safe because you had this provision of an empire over you. You could travel the known world. Well, you could actually get there because the Romans created the roads, the system. And it was true. All roads led to Rome and a whole lot of other places, too. And so you could traverse the the pathway from city to city on paved 
roads, stone roads that were laid out from place to place, and you could do that. Now, even if you go there to now, Kevin and I go there now, Kevin and I had opportunity to travel in Turkey and Greece, you could see there that every 25 miles, by our measurement, there was a respite place, Caravansavai. There was a place where you could go with your camels or your animals, your family, if you were on horseback or you were in some kind of a, a carriage or cart or you were walking, and you could find a bed and breakfast, as we would call it today, and you could find some safety there. And so you could travel anywhere in the Roman Empire, and you would know that you would find provisions, food, and water, and some people. And then, to top it all off, you could all speak the same language. Yeah, of course, there were a ton of just different dialects, and every group had their own language, but everybody spoke Greek. Everybody spoke the one worldwide language. And so, as you traveled, all you needed to do was utter a Greek sentence, and you would be understood. Amazing. At the proper time, at just the right time, in the fullness of time, God had done all these things, and you could walk through. No wonder the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news message that we could be freed from our sins, connected back to God because of what Christ is on the cross. No wonder that exploded through the empire. Because all you had to do was just go from place to place, and everybody would understand you. Everybody would welcome you. Everybody would have this common understanding of the message, and the gospel just blew up in places in unbelievable ways. Because in the fullness of time, at just the right time, God sent Jesus onto the earth. Even though, by all accounts, God hasn't done anything in 400 years, right? In fact, in your own life, in the silence, when you're waiting on God and the uncomfortableness of that situation, could it be that even though God is silent, he's not inactive? He's not on vacation. He's not taking a nap. That God is actually orchestrating events to bring you to a point where God breaks through and shows up. You could be here and you might not even be a follower of Christ. And church could be a new thing for you, and it's awkward to be here, and people are greeting you and welcoming you and saying hi all the time, and you think we're kind of weird, you know. We don't run into friendly people unless you're selling something, right, you know. And it's like, what's going on? And it's kind of, I get that. It's kind of awkward. But do you know that God has actually worked behind the scenes in your life? Whether you know it or not, he has orchestrated something. I'll tell you that because that, that's what happened to me. God had this crazy set of stories that went on, unbelievable connections that are just not mere happenstance. It was not an accident that led me to the point to hear the message of Jesus and respond to it. Although God was silent, he was active. Same thing for you. Maybe in your waiting right now for someone or, or for God or for something, in your discouragement, you kind of give up hope that God's doing anything. I, I would guarantee God's doing something, even though we may not be able to see it. In the silence, God was preparing for Christmas. It's amazing to have a perspective change and for the Jewish people when all of a sudden this guy, the prophet Elijah shows up, it begins to make sense. Well, after 400 years of silence, an angel shows up and breaks into this. So let's, this is our story here and it's in Luke chapter one. It's a lot of verses. So we're gonna look at the beginning of the story and the end of the story. You can read it all this week. Look at it, it says, when Herod 
was king of Judea. Now, Judea is the countryside around Jerusalem. So what's going on is the Roman Empire is spread everywhere, and the emperor has put in leaders or rulers over certain areas. And Herod, otherwise known as Herod the Great, he is the one that's in charge of this area. Now, Herod was great. Um, you know, he, he, he was magnificent in his, his architecture and his building plans. He was a military strategist. He was quite paranoid, though, and insane that somebody would try to take over because he wasn't really Jewish, and, and he wanted to be a Jewish king. He wanted to be the Jewish Messiah, but he was Idumean, which is, you know, an Old Testament thing that he couldn't be uh, true Jewish. He couldn't be a true Jewish king or Messiah, but he wanted it so badly and he wanted to be Roman and so he entertained everything Rome and everything Jewish and tried to blend it together and it was a fascinating thing to be under the reign of Herod the Great. And so King Herod was king over Judea. There was a Jewish priest named Zechariah. He was a member of the priestly order of Abijah and his wife Elizabeth was also from the priestly line of Aaron. Now, all that to say is that they connected themselves back to Moses and Aaron, Aaron's Moses' brother. So this is a long lineage. This is a heritage, right? Some of you can say, hey, I can be traced back to so-and-so. I mean, this is pretty awesome if you can be traced back to Moses and Aaron, right? This is great. Aaron and his sons, and and they're the ones that are going to be the priests, and forever the Levites are going to be the ones that mediate between God and mankind and deliver the law and, and, you know, serve people and, you know, interpret the law, and they offer the sacrifices. Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth, they're from that group, that family. It's pretty amazing. And it says here, Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey all the Lord's commandments and regulations. But there's a problem. They had no children. Because Elizabeth was unable to conceive, and they were both very old. Now, when you hear that, what do you think of? I think of another Old Testament story. I think of a story of a, of a guy named Abraham and his wife Sarah, right? They were older. They were, they were man, they were, they, were, they were just beyond childbearing years. And Sarah couldn't have a baby. And so there's this angst inside because Abram, and then Abraham is his name, the father of many nations, doesn't have even a son, so how can he have many nations? And Sarah, as a princess, which is what her name means, she, 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 knows she isn't princess of any kingdom, right? And so in the midst of all that, they cry out to God, and God shows up one day with an angel, with God himself, and declares that you will have a son. And so you could imagine, you could just imagine that Zechariah and Elizabeth, who know that story so well, are praying for that kind of encounter, that God would show up because if God doesn't show up, their family is over. Their lineage, they don't have any kids to pass the name on, and it stops with them. One day, it says, Zechariah was serving God in the temple, for his order was on duty that week, as was the custom of the priests. He was chosen by lot to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. When the, while the incense was being burned, a great crowd stood outside praying. Now, I want to sh- kind of show you visually how you can see this. This is a, a picture that I took of a model of Second Temple Judaism in Jerusalem. So if you were to go to Israel today to the Hebrew Museum, this used to be in a hotel, uh, the Holy Land Hotel. Now it's moved there. This is a scale model of the city at the time of Jesus. It's the second temple period. This is Herod the Great's temple that he built. And so this is a massive compound. You've got the Sanhedrin ruling over here. You've got the steps where Jesus taught. The people would come in through these doorways into the court of the Gentiles. And then this is the temple, the altar area. And these were the colonnades. And so later on you see that 
at uh, Solomon's colonnade, the church worships there, they gather there. If we zoom in just a little bit, we see this close above the actual area of the temple, this, this uh, balustrade, this wall, Gentiles could not cross over it or, or be killed. And in here is this court of women where the ladies could come, the Jewish women could come in here and offer their sacrifices. There's a story in the Gospels where a woman comes in and offers, you know, the mite, the widow's mite, the couple small coins, and Jesus says, look at that, she offered more than everybody else. But then you go through that door, and you can only go through that door if you're a Jewish man, and in that court there, you could then worship God, but only the priests could go through those final set of golden doors. And in that was the holy place, and only beyond that, the holiest holies, the high priest could go one time a year, right? So it's a pretty sacred place. And so Zechariah, by lots, by rolling of the dice, as it were, today for us, he was on duty to go offer the incense to God. And so this is a picture that would just kind of paint this for your own mind of what it would have been like for an older man to come in, dressed up, worshiping God, and offering the incense on the altar, praying to God, and going on behalf of his people, begging God to show up and deliver them. The text goes on, it says, while Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the incense altar. Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him. We would be too, right? An angel, that's pretty amazing. But I love this. The angel said, don't be afraid. That, that shows up a number of times in, in the Christmas story. It's like, fear not, okay, in the King James, fear not, you know? And it's, don't be afraid. You know, you never say that to somebody when things are going fine. Hey, don't be afraid. It's like, why? Why should I be afraid? Usually it's when they're freaked out, right? And so this, this guy's panicked because an angel shows up. First of all, you're in the presence of God, or at least in that area, God's not there like he was in the Old Testament where the fire, the cloud, not in that way. The Spirit of God wasn't there that same way. But you are in that place that represents the presence of God. And you're there alone and you're offering incense. Now, if you've ever read the Old Testament, this can go wrong, okay? And it has gone wrong and you could be killed because you don't do it in a reverent way. And so he's there and everybody's outside and they're waiting for him to go and do this. It's kind of a threatening thing already. It's a lot of stress, a lot of sweat going on, right? You're there in the presence of God, as it were, offering incense, and an angel shows up. And the angel says, don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. My prayer? Yeah, your prayer. I thought God was silent. Maybe, but he's listening, and he's heard your prayer. Your wife Elizabeth will give you a son, and you're to name him John. You will have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. Then he goes on to say this. He must never touch wine or other alcoholic drinks. That harkens back to being a Nazarite, okay? There's this Nazarite vow you could take for temporary or you could be born and your whole life you're a Nazarite. You're dedicated to God. He'll be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth and he will turn, here it is, many Israelites to the Lord their God. He will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah. You have got to imagine and you've got to know that as soon as the angel says that, everything is flipping. In, I mean, it's like the penny drops, right? Oh, my goodness. He's talking about Malachi. The, my son is going to be the one the prophet spoke about. My son is going to be the Elijah to come. This is, this is just absolutely revolutionary to him. That God is not silent. 
that God is waiting for the right time. He will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. There's no doubt now. This is Malachi coming true. And he will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. Can you imagine that message? After giving up all hope of ever having a son, after years of praying, after just aching because everybody else is having kids and you're not, and you know that you're too old and your wife is too old and you are going to die and she's going to die, and that's it. And you get an angel showing up. And you don't just get a kid. You don't just get a son. You get the one that the whole testament pointed to. I mean, it closes. And it's a weird way to close the story. But it's a great way to open a new story. And he is the one who gets to have this son. Now, Zechariah, I, I think, honestly, I'd have this response too. Zechariah said to the angel, are you sure you got the right guy? You know, look at this. How can I be sure this will happen? He has a moment of doubt, right? A moment of questioning. We would all have that, right? Are you sure? Abraham and Sarah had that. Really? Sarah laughed. There's no way. I'm old. There's no way. It's like, why did Sarah laugh? Oh, she didn't laugh. Yeah, we're going to name him Laughter. Isaac names Laughter, right? It's like, it's going to be a reminder. You laugh to God, okay? But now you're going to laugh with joy. How can I be sure this will happen? I'm an old man now. My wife is well along in years. God, I know you speak, but it just doesn't make sense. How could you do that? God, how could you bring my spouse back? How could you bring my kid back? How could you have a breakthrough in my life? How could you, do, how could you literally change my life? I know people in the Bible, God. I know people have prayed about it. I've heard some friends. But how could you? Seriously, God, do you think you could really do this in my life? Then the angel said, I'm Gabriel. It's a pretty powerful angel. I stand in the very presence of God. Gabriel's going to be the one that blows the trumpet that ushers everybody back in the presence of God one day. This is not just like any old third-rate angel, if there is such a thing, okay? This is Gabriel, okay? I'm Gabriel. I stand in the very presence of God. It was he who sent me to bring you this good news. But now, since you didn't believe what I said, you'll be silent and unable to speak until the child is born. Isn't that kind of funny? Up to this point, God's been silent, seemingly so. Now, he gets to be silent for a while. <laughs> and ladies are going, my husband could use that. That would be great. No. <laughs> Nine months. Wow. Not able to speak a word. For my words will certainly be fulfilled. Here it is again, friends. At the proper time. See, God has a proper time for everything. That's the key to this whole story. I mean, they're told they're going to have a baby and we know that takes nine months, right? That's this gestation period. That's this journey period. And while that's going on, the prophecy is going to be studied again and again. You know he's going to hit the books. And he's going to try to figure out, my son is going to be the Elijah to come. I better figure this out, right? You know he's pouring over all the stories of Elijah, wondering, this guy, what's going to happen? And because he's an old man, he probably doesn't get to see his son grow up to be that. But he knows it to be true because God spoke. He, he sent an angel now, if you read the story, you discover John was that guy. He was the fiery prophet. Just like Elijah called people back to repentance, boldly proclaiming at the risk of his life, that was John. John was just right out there with the message, calling the Jewish people back to faith in God, away from their waywardness and their idols. When Elizabeth finally had her baby, Zechariah named him John, which means the gift of God. Now, that's a fascinating story. We're not going to read it because we're going to gloss over it. But the fact is, is that they're there and he's silent. He's writing, what's his name? No, his name is John. It's like, what are you talking about? This should be like Zechariah 2.0. This doesn't mean, no one's named John in your family. He's like, his name is John. It's like, oh, he can talk. You can imagine the words he utters. 
In fact, take a look at the words he utters. This is amazing. This is so emotional. Then his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and gave this prophecy. Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited and redeemed his people. Not yet, but it's coming. It's a sure thing. He has sent us a mighty Savior from the royal line of his servant David. Not yet, but it's, it's, it's absolutely true it's going to happen. Just as he promised the holy prophets long ago, now we will be saved from our enemies and all who hate us. It's, it's not today, but it's going to happen. It's a sure thing. He has been merciful to our ancestors by remembering his sacred covenant, the covenant he swore with an oath to our ancestor Abraham. This is so cool. And next week, we're going to look at Mary's song, the Magnificat. It's unbelievable. It's beautiful. And both, uh, both Zechariah here and Mary, they do this. It's so cool to think about this. They connect their life back to the Old Testament. They go back all the way to the story of God, and they know when they sing about it, that God has not forgotten them. God has not forgotten them. God has not left them aside. He says here, we've been rescued from our enemies so we can serve God without fear in holiness and righteousness for as long as we live. Not yet, but it is gonna happen. God has promised it. And here, this is so beautiful. I don't know. I imagine he's holding his son because they're at this ceremony of circumcision. This is dedication time to God. They take him to the temple, and the little boy is circumcised on the eighth day, and there he is, and he's there, and there's a naming ceremony, and this is a very powerful thing. And I can just imagine him holding this little child, this little baby, and saying these words, and you, my little son. I can't imagine that he couldn't be crying at this point because this is his little son. You will be called the prophet of the Most High because you will prepare the way of the Lord. My son will prepare the way of the Lord. You will tell his people how to find salvation through forgiveness of sins. His son, John, will prepare the way for Jesus, who is actually ending up being a relative, okay? And, and he says that you will open the hearts of people so that Jesus can come in. And my friends, Jesus still wants to come in. And God still wants to open hearts. What Zechariah is saying here is that you and I, even today, can find salvation through the forgiveness of our sins. The Bible says all of us, no matter how good we live as a moral life or how intelligent we are and what we pursue by way of education or, or job or whatever, all of us are broken inside. All of us have a darkness inside. The Bible calls it sin matter how we, we try to change that and we try to negate that, it's the reality of our lives. And the Bible says this through this message, that it's Jesus who brings salvation through forgiveness of sins. Because of God's tender mercy, my friends, God is still full of tender mercy today. The morning light from heaven is about to break upon us. God is willing to invade the darkness of your life even today, and the morning light can break to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death. That could be you today. You could look around at your life, and in the honesty of the inside of you, deep inside of you, you know there's nothing but the stench of death. You know it, but you're afraid other people are going to find out. My friends, God knows, and he loves you, and he wants to invade your life with light and to guide you to the path of peace. Now, just as a little aside here, Moms and dads, grandmas and grandpas, aunts and uncles. Um, this is so beautiful. Zechariah blesses his son. He gives his son a blessing. Obviously, only eight days old. Not able to understand it, right? But he speaks a blessing over his son. I, I hope you do that. I hope you speak to your sons and daughters, grandsons and granddaughters, 
nieces and nephews and take a moment to sit down and tell them you love them and tell them you're proud of them and tell them what they're good at and how God has shown up in their life. Give them a vision of a godly future and let them know that you're praying for them. Well, it all came into focus for Zechariah when his son was born and the silence God had prepared for him to understand the bigger picture. More than just a miraculous birth of an elderly couple here, from an elderly couple, but a part of God's eternal plan. And so Zechariah sings a song, not a lullaby. You're not going to put it to rhyme or meter. It's not going to be sung in hymn books or chorus books around the Christmas tree. But it's a story of our salvation. It's a story of hope. It's a story of waking up from our spiritual slumber. It's a story of reminding ourselves about the promises of God. It's a story about the awareness of sin and the barrier that sin brings to our life. But it's the story of a breakthrough that can happen. And through John's life and eventual death, powerful story, God used him to open up the door for salvation. So I would say this is the first song of Christmas. And the lesson for us is this. Even in the apparent silence, God is speaking and God is preparing us for Christmas. Not the holiday Christmas. I'm glad you're preparing, but not for that, but for the reality of Christmas, which is God with us. Jesus, Emmanuel. So as you prepare for the Christmas season, uh, what is going to keep the purpose of Christmas front and center for you? Uh, How will you keep this perspective in the midst of lights and shopping and chaos and activity and all of the stuff that we do, how will you keep the message that the gift of God showed up to prepare the way of the Lord so that we would have salvation? Would you uh, bow your heads and close your eyes? And I want to just have you consider this. Some of you find yourselves in silence this Christmas season. You're waiting. You've been waiting on God for a breakthrough. Uh, Maybe... The opposite's true. Maybe it could be that your voice has grown silent to God and you've given up on God because you've cried out again and again. My friends, God is still working. And I guarantee it won't take 400 years. Thank you. But it might take longer than you want. But the fact is God will reveal himself to you. God can redeem the silence in your life, my friends. Whether you've been crying out for the salvation of someone you love, the restoration of health, to yourself or someone else, maybe an end to financial hardship or the stress and the mental strain of a relational explosive environment. God is still working even if you don't see an evidence of it. So this Christmas, in the silence, sing a song of faith, a song like Zechariah sang. Father God, I want to thank you for the opportunity to prepare for this season and the hustle and bustle and activity of Christmas. We love the presents. We love the trees. We love the lights. We love all of it. We love the songs. We love the family. But God, most of all, may we love the Savior who brought it all and made it all worthwhile. And may we remember this Christmas season that the whole point of everything of Christmas is that you love us so much that you would come to give your son to die for our sins. And if that's the message we need today, God, may we embrace it. May we come and may we confess the truth that Jesus, you are Lord. May we believe in our hearts that you gave Jesus to come and to live and to die and be resurrected to cover over all our sins. May we become a child of God, Father. May we not be be caught up in all the activity, 
but may we be caught up in Jesus and your love for us, we pray in his name.